listening to The Adjacent Self, brought to you by the Conscious Leadership Academy at the University of San Diego. We're your hosts, Kendra and Libby, and we're going to help you explore how to step into the best version of you. Thanks for being here. Kendra, how are you? I am so good. Good morning. It's a nice day out, so I'm feeling really good. Perfect. And we are so lucky today. We have council member Marilyn Santabria here with us today. Hi, Marilyn. How are you doing? I'm good. And yourself? I'm good. So Marilyn was elected to the city of Huntington Parks Council in March of 2015. Um, and she also served as mayor in Huntington Park from 2017 to 2018, and she's currently a council member as well. Um, So we are so lucky to have her here with us today to talk about voting, our voting episode. Um, So we'll dive right into that. Yeah. Well, Marilyn, thank you so much for being here. We like to start each episode out with a deep breath. So I'm just gonna go ahead and lead us through that. So if you guys wanna close your eyes, we'll just do a quick breathing session. So go ahead and inhale. Exhale. Perfect. That sounds so good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Marilyn, first things first, you have a really great story, and I would love to hear some, uh, if you could share with our viewers, of how you got to the point you are at today. That's an interesting question. So let me first start with, I never believed that I was going to be a politician. Uh, that right off the bat, um, if you would have asked me, I would have never thought I would have been in this position. I think that looking back now, I think that it was kind of obvious that I wanted to work into public sector and public service, but I maybe I wanted to go through more of a nonprofit. Um, my journey into politics or into city council was more of a community member that was kind of frustrated with the, what was going on with our community. And I started asking questions. Um, one of the things that got me interested or what started this was they were going to raise the water in the city of Huntington Park by almost 50% overnight. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our individuals in Huntington Park um, are not really engaged or we're not engaged in local politics. So, you know, I actually stumbled upon a meeting and I started asking questions and that's the rabbit hole that it ended um, because a lot of community members started seeing me as a leader and started kind of feeling me. So that's how I had the short version of how I got here. Um, but I've always preached that um, all my career, I have worked in um, nonprofits or serving as um, the community. Um, I recently got into serving the, the homeless community because I think that is something that is truly rewarding and is very needed in our community. Um, but yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, I've been dying to hear more about your time as, as Huntington Park's mayor. Um, I know that so backstory, Marilyn and I have known each other for probably nine years or so now. Um, and so when I heard that you were running and then got elected as mayor, I had just wanted to pick your brain. So now I'm very excited that I get the opportunity to hear more. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like for you? What was it like running and then also being the mayor? Well, um, just as, as you're talking about this episode about voting addition, it's important the kind of a backstory um, to tell you about that I actually went through as a council member, a vice mayor, mayor. So in the city of Union Park, we actually were um, one of the few cities that um, 
we have a low voter turnout and we also have, uh, we're trying very hard to have civic engagement. That being said, my community is very, is not very diverse, but we do have a lot of um, individuals that are undocumented. So we opened it up. I'm going to tell you a little story of how a little precise. So we opened it up and one of my, one of our council members decided um, to put into commissions to people that didn't have an undocumented, were undocumented, but were very huge in the community and so forth. Well, that kind of caught national attention. <laughs> Trump actually even tweeted at us um, because he did not believe that. So we started a pro, uh, so we got started getting protests. We were protested for almost a year um, during my mayorship um, by right wing radicals, to be very frank with you. I always say that I'm open to any discussions. You know, I believe Democrats and Republicans have a lot of things. We just want to solve the problem. We just have different ways of solving it. Mm -hmm. And that's really, truly the discord that, you know, we're just viewing the problem at a different angle. So it was a very interesting time. I think that in my four years as the elected official, I've kind of seen a lot more than most elected officials see in the term because of this. Um, so we did have a lot of protests. It came from outside and so forth and protested. So we dealt with that. We also dealt with, um, so that was one of the biggest things that we dealt for in my mayorship. But I'm very fortunate that that didn't necessarily define us. We can't continue to move forward and we were able to move agendas and so forth. But that was something that was, has been, was very interesting to see that. Yeah, that's wild. I had no idea that you no. had gone through Number one, getting a direct tweet from Trump. I mean, that's like. <laughs> well, he actually messed it because um, I think um, we actually made the Yahoo News. It was really big. CNN covers us and so forth. Um, mind you, just a commission, a non-paid commission. These are volunteer positions and they don't even have any authority. They're basically an advisory commission. It was an educational commissioner and a health and a parks commissioner and health education commissioner. Um, he actually tweeted uh, wrongfully. I think that it said he said Huntington Beach, and then someone corrected him. You mean Huntington Park? Uh. Um, so <laughs> he had things, but it was just because of this um, rhetoric around immigration mm -hmm. that he started to pop in. And so that was one of the biggest issues I dealt with as my mayorship was because of this, in my opinion, non-trivial issue of having an individual that will just wants to serve the community becoming a nation nationwide news about you know discussion of should people without documentation serve on their local you know boards yeah that's i mean that's such a huge topic and, and a big conversation that i think is so important to have yeah. and i think that just you taking on that role of having that conversation in the first place is huge that makes me a little curious about for undocumented citizens or for felons, since felons can't also can't vote in a lot what, of states. Yeah. In a lot of states, what that looks like for them if they want to still be a part of the process during an election year, be a part of like city councils and things like that. What does that look like, or what was your experience for that? I always tell people volunteer um, in the sense of being involved. I mean. Having documentation is, you know, it's here and there, but at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we could all be involved and we could all, like it or not, hear our voice one way or another. It's really, you know, so I've always said that those kind of things should not be a deterrent of you being involved in the process. Mind you, you might not necessarily vote, you know, I am a first time generation um, American. My family were immigrated from El Salvador. Um, they were actually being persecuted um, during that time. So they came and set asylum. 
And so I understand, you know, not being able to be involved in the process, but I also know that how much not being or being heard could affect someone. Absolutely. Yeah, especially when you're you're coming, you're wanting to be integrated into the community, um, start a new life in, in a new community, and then being told, well, you can't participate in any of our decision making. Um, you can't participate in any of the, the rules or anything like that. You just have to kind of work and pay your taxes, but you don't get to have a voice. Absolutely. You know, I, can, I can feel really, I'm sure, um, frustrating and also kind of disheartening, you know, really hurtful to, to be told, no, you can't, you can't help us. Yeah. And I think people want to be a, a part of the process as much as they can, even if they're not like necessarily a leader or something like they want to be informed as to what's going on because it affects them. Mm-hmm. Whether you're in a company, whether it's a political system, it's going to affect you. So you want to be informed and a part of things. So yeah, volunteering is great. Absolutely. Um, we talked, you know, a little bit about kind of people who maybe aren't fully engaged in local politics or don't really understand the importance of local politics. And I know this is a big topic for you. So what are some reasons that it might be important to pay attention to who we're electing as local representatives? You know, why should we be getting involved in local politics and not just paying attention to the presidential election? You know, that's one of the things that is very hard to kind of have voter engagement when it's not a presidential year, because a lot of everyone loves a presidential year. I mean, you get political. That is a one time. But many people do not get involved in local politics. And I remember actually walking to a door to a gentleman like, you know, you know, canvassing and asking him for his vote. And then, then he goes, I was like, oh, are you planning to vote? He goes, I vote every four years for a president. I was like, oh, <laughs> and then we had a discussion. And it's something that I've always taken as saying. Local politics affects your life. It, it literally, if the trash does not get picked up, you will know. If mm-hmm. the, there's not clean water, you will know. If there is not uh, electricity or so forth, you will know. And you will feel that much faster than a presidential <laughs> uh, decision. That being said, I, both of them are very important. But I think people kind of don't understand how much local politics, you know, keep a city running. Like the little things that we take for granted, if they're not done or, or missed, you will know. And so I think that that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily understand. Also, the rules, you know, parking, all those quality of life issues are really decided at a local level. And so you really do want to involve, be involved at your local level because you want to make sure your your decisions or your voice is being heard. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes me think a little bit, too, about um, I read Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, recently, and she really talked about um, Barack's, you know, his journey from being a community organizer all the way through to being the president. And for me, you know, I didn't really realize that I know a lot of us complain. We're like, oh, we've got these two candidates that we don't like. You know, we, a lot of people don't like Biden. They don't like Trump or they didn't like Hillary. They didn't like Trump. And they feel torn of like, who do I vote for when I don't like either candidate? But when I was reading that book, it made me realize it's so easy to be involved in who's going to eventually become um, the candidate for president Mm -hmm. by voting for people in local politics and helping, you know, move them forward. If there's somebody that you really like who's a local politician, you have the power to help get them to the presidency. And I didn't realize that before reading that book. And it, it really opened my eyes to that. No, you're right. Um, I think that that's something that a lot of people don't realize that 
politics is a small world. I mean, like even with this presidential uh, race, we had Bernie Sanders had also come to Huntington Park because you need the local support. At the end of the day, it's an election. All votes matter. And so I think that putting the presidential election uh, pedestal is kind of the, um, not helping our community because I think that we forget that they're just like us and they could be held accountable just like a local elected. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. As like a voter, I have friends who've always asked me, you know, like, why do you vote in the small elections? And I'm like, where I, the city I live in, in California, we had a mayor and city council that was full of one demographic and it was an older demographic, but we had a lot of families moving into the city. So there was nothing for families. There was no restaurants, no shopping. You had to drive 20 minutes to get somewhere other wow. than like a grocery store or Walmart. And so I told them like, right now we are trying to change our city council to bring in new blood, younger opinions, people who are actually like the, the demographic that's now the majority so that we can bring in income to the city, but also like that we have things for families because all the spending's not happening here. And people don't understand like that was, a, that was, that had to do with politics. Like that is who you vote into your mayor or your city council members. And we were able to, and now we have like new stores that have come up. We're in the Chick-fil-A like, <laughs> in a month. But yeah, like it absolutely, that affects what's going on in your city. And I don't think a lot of people have realized that. Mm -hmm. They just look at like the mayor. And then in 2018, when the, um, the house changed, and a lot of people like, I think it was emphasized because we're in a social media age in 2018. But before, like, this has still been happening, you know, every two years or every, you know, those elections still happen frequently enough that we can make changes within Congress. And it's, once again, it's still a focus on the presidential election. That election was the first time in my life that I voted outside of a presidential election. Mm -hmm. Because I think it was social media and friends and family, you know, talking about how important it was to get out there and vote um, and to try to shake up some of that Republican control. Um, at least for my family, you know, mostly democratic. So it was, it was very much about kind of shaking up that control. Um, but I think that even when it's not so tense, that it's still so important mm -hmm. to vote yeah. because it does down the line, you know, it leads to all kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if somebody's in political power for quite a long time. I mean, Marilyn, I think you can speak to this, like the decisions that you get to make when you're in a position of power, they have a lasting effect. And so can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what that looks like? Of lasting effects of projects, um, I can give you a couple. Um, one of the things that we have actually done, and I'm very grateful that we're back to complete, hopefully by November. One thing we wanted, or at least in our community, a lot of our community members live in apartments. So mm. really don't have access to a front yard. I was very fortunate to grow up in a home where I had a front yard, but I I didn't know how much that was until I became an adult and I saw children in apartments that weren't able to go play in the yard. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we were able to do is work with DWP and having a come with an agreement to lease their property so we can make a passing park. So in, we're going to be able to make three eleven uh, passing parks in the city of Huntington Park by just having these conversations. And I tell people it's hard for us to make green space because we don't want to take people's homes because it's kind of built out. By using creative ways and to seeing, you know, partnerships. So we're now making those 11 little parks so people around our community can have at least a place, a green space to walk and also help with the lungs and so forth and bringing that much more beauty, beautification. That one project will be there for after I leave and long before, you know what I mean? 
that um, we have bringing in retail. That's something that's huge for us. I was elected, and so I was very fortunate to be elected and kind of won, and I was able to win the new majority. So we were able to bring a new fresh blood, like you were saying. So we were able to go and sit down with Chipotle, Target, Costco, and tell them and kind of sell them our community because our community was kind of being overlooked. Um, in the city of Huntington Park, our average income is $35,000. You know, we are modest. So a lot of these big box companies really didn't necessarily see the, you know, investment opportunities in our community because, you know, they don't, we don't have so much quote unquote disposable income to save. But one of the ways that we were able to overturn it or at least have those conversations with them was like one, Census data doesn't necessarily reflect our community at 100%. One. So using a 10-year census data to make your decisions as a business is kind of not necessarily the best model, or at least that's how we see it. Yeah. Um, second of all, we do have a lot of individual, a lot of youth that's coming up that have more disposable income. So why do we want, I'll be honest, why do I want you guys to go shop outside my city and leave taxpayer taxes outside my city where I need them to make those parts, pick up the trash and so forth. So it's kind of a cycle and making sure that you have made a good business or have sold your community in the sense of, you know, making sure that there's business and tax revenue will uplift the community because we're able to then use those taxpayer monies for something else, like my senior food programs, scholarships and exports. So I think those are the lasting effects that, you know, people might not remember that I brought in X, Y, and Z, but the store will still be there and it'll still be, read, you know, creating um, jobs and creating local economy. And that's something very important and something that people might not necessarily, you know, see how it affects. But a lot of these big companies come into communities, especially community of colors, because we advocate and we sell ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, too, like on the flip side, like you created jobs and you brought in businesses. But I was looking at, because we're all in California, I was looking at something on our ballot and it was like, this won't come into effect until 2025. And like, we don't know what California is going to look like in 2025. Like no one expected a coronavirus to take out all of 2020, basically. And so you also have like, that's another reason the local elections are so important and paying attention to like your state politics, because you don't know what's going to be affecting your future in the state or wherever you're living. And who's mm -hmm. advocating for what? Like, you have to pay attention to that, too. Yeah. So um, for someone who wants to get started and having some awareness of local politics, um, do you have any recommendations of places that they could go to get more information? Yeah, um, I'll be honest. I, did, I had lived in my city all my life, um, and I did not know we had a city council right off the bat. So... Um, how I found out was because of the water, and that's how it led me to read the council meetings to figure out what they were voting. And that's honestly how I got involved and how I figured out what was going on was attending council meetings. I know that might not be the funnest of the uh, meetings, but it's very important, or even just reading the agenda and figuring out what is going on. I think that a lot of people don't understand that how important that is. Um, I myself was, I don't come from a family that was very politically involved. Actually, my mother really, really did not want me to run for office because in El Salvador, they don't usually turn out that day. I had to convince my family that it was safe for me to run. One is just basically just going for it. Just jump into the water, whatever you feel comfortable. I'm very comfortable in reading agendas because I'm, I like, I'm a nerd. So I like reading, but necessarily you could go ahead and um, attend meetings. You could go ahead and attend events. 
I think that once you find out what you're truly passionate about or whatever problem you have, it's a lot easier because you start asking questions. And once you're kind of in, it's kind of, you get hooked. And so you kind of start um, being more aware of what's going on in the community and you start asking more questions but i always tell people you know what always follow up i know that is you know just read the agenda find out what events are going on that tells you a lot of what the priorities of a, a leadership is in the city by the events and the kind of things that they're doing absolutely yeah you know i never um have gone to a city council meeting but we did start to watch some of those meetings um when the coronavirus was hitting mm -hmm. And trying to figure out, you know, what is Governor Newsom going to do? Um, you know, what are the rules going to be? What are people saying about all of this? Like, what's going on? And we started to join in through um, the, the live ones that they broadcasted. So we didn't like Zoom them, but we watched them and listened to them and paid attention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we would watch the live stream. And I don't think I've ever in my life been like, let me join a live stream and watch um, what politics are doing. Yeah. Um, but I think that as I start to realize the importance of being aware, being involved, understanding what's going on, and then thinking about how is this affecting not just my life, but how are the decisions in play affecting the lives of others? Um, and what can I do to help? What can I do to maybe ease the burden of somebody else? Mm -hmm. You know, how can I also be involved? Um, and that's something brand new for me. I feel like, oh, I'd never in a million years would have thought that I would be like that. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of um, people, including myself. Like I said, um, I never, I I was growing up from a family that, you know, left the country that didn't have a stable pol political system. I never necessarily looked at politics as a good thing. I kind of thought of it as a, not a necessary evil, but now that I've been more involved and more, I realize it's not necessarily that. It's just basically you have to be involved and you just have to get your word out one way or another, being able to vote or not. You know, like I said, protests are a great way, you know, writing your, believe it or not, if you call me, I usually, letters, I do read all the letters that I get sent. I do answer my phone calls and they do affect. Like, and I think that that's something that people forget that they're like, oh, no one matters. Well, some elected officials like myself, I have my colleagues, we do actually take the time to answer these calls and it does impact the decisions that we make because at the end of the day, they live here. Like I tell people, at the end of the day, you live here. So if you let me know what is your issue, I'm going to go ahead and try to solve it. Mm. I love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, I think that you saying that, like, because I was definitely a person who was like, um, does it matter my involvement? Like, will they even read a letter I have to say? Or I remember watching in June in LA County, people were calling in and speaking to their council members regarding like the police budget mm. in LA. Oh, yeah. And like seeing like that actually has effects. Like more people will hear what you have to say and like people will be behind you. And it really just takes a person or a council member to like start a movement or something new to change up what's going on in your city or in your state. So it's so important. Yeah. I actually recently um, had texted in it was basically like this organization where you can text in, into a number. You tell them kind of what your issue is, what you're texting about. And then they'll craft a letter and send it to your your local politician. And when I did the first time, I was like, okay, we'll see if this works. I'm probably going to get blown up with like a bunch of random text messages that, you know, or my information is going to get shared. But actually what ended up happening is within a couple of weeks, I got a letter back from Senator Feinstein. Mm -hmm. 
I got a letter to, a letter back from actually my most recent one that I was like, I'm going to print this and hang it was from Kamala Harris. She wow. wrote me back. And I don't know if those are, you know, crafted and, and kind of sent back to everybody mm-hmm. or, um, you know, especially for her, like how much time and, and energy she's putting in. But I bet you she's got people in her camp, in her office who do read those letters and make sure that she's aware of the issues and what people are saying and doing. Um, and it was just, I was like, wow, this actually is working. Like I never thought for a second that I would get written back by a politician. (laughs) All right. So just shifting gears a little bit here. Um, I know that you, you touched on it earlier in the podcast and I've always been super interested in your work with the lives of people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do there? So, I've, um, besides being a city council member, we all have uh, additional jobs. So I've worked many jobs. I've worked in Skid Row, Los Angeles, like Skid Row, Los Angeles, working with the most mentally ill and most chronically homeless. And so outside of my job, that kind of helped me bring a different perspective to city council. And that's why um, I'm able, you know, I'm very fortunate that in my city council, we get along and we all have our kind of little things. Vice Mayor Castella Ortiz is very involved in the schools. So she brings that education in. Um, Council member Macias is very, um, very involved in seniors. And we have a new council member, Eddie Martinez. He's very in LGBT community and so forth. So it brings a little different kind of perspective to it. So with homelessness, you know, in the city of Huntington Park, I've worked with being a case manager and seeing them, you know, basically moving them from being on the streets to in home. So that kind of changes how I look at policies. One of the things I bought in my first term was a way of working with um, having training and having a special individual officers partner with social um, social workers to go out there and outreach to homeless individuals, not necessarily ticking them, but basically having that conversation, reaching out to them and seeing if they want assistance. Um, we call it sermon team. So it was one of the first ones in the state to kind of have this idea. Homelessness is very complicated. And I always tell people, you know, it's not as easy as just plucking one person in and just putting them there. Um, people become homeless by different reasons. You name it, there's a reason. Domestic violence, immigration, mental health, drug addiction. And I know that mental health and drug addiction kind of takes a front front because when people think of homelessness and be very honest, a lot of people think they're drug addicts and they're mentally ill. Mm-hmm. The reality is the statistics does not show that. The statistics show that actually a lot of individuals are just working class individuals that didn't have a safety net. And once you're homeless, it's kind of hard to get in. Um, I've always given the example of well, when I was a case manager. Mind you, I have a Section 8 voucher with their names in my hand. So you would think that's it, right? No. Mm-hmm. Even if the stars all align, it would usually take me a year to house them. Wow. Why? Because... You still have the other barriers of working with landlords. They're going to question and, you know, be like, "Mm, do they have mental illness and so forth. You also have to come up with a deposit, you know what I mean? Because the Section 8 does not come with a deposit. Furniture. You also have to come up with bad credit. You start having, you know, if you're homeless, your credit does not necessarily take priority in your life. And so... All these little kind of barriers keep individuals, and that's if, I'm going to put an if they have a Section 8 voucher. Mind you, a lot of individuals will never have a Section 8 voucher because, one, they might not qualify for immigration status. They have committed a crime that kind of takes them out of the pool, or you just are not lucky enough to be on the front of the line. 
And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm very passionate because people get very upset with the homeless. I'm like, well, we need to have a conversation because obviously it's something's wrong. So the system has failed. Our safety net that we're supposed to have made clearly hasn't made. So I think that that's why I've seen this trend. But in the city of Huntington Park, where I bring it back was, since we were there, we actually seen a decrease in homelessness. Until recently, have we seen an, uh, an increase? Even when the city of Los Angeles were reporting a 15% increase, we were reporting a 5-10% decrease. Why? Because of those programs. Because we were trying, and I was actively trying to get connected to services. Now, there goes my frustration because I can only do so much. My hands are tied. You know, I cannot make Section 8 vouchers. I cannot get safe funding. I, you know, I could advocate, but, you know, that goes back to one of the problems of being a small municipality is Los Angeles is a great, huge municipality. So you usually get the most, most you know, resources and so forth. So for me to get those resources, I kind of got to be a pain in their desk. Like, I really have to be like, hey, Hilda, like my supervisor, hi, state, you know, even myself as an elected official, kind of still has to bug those elected officials above me to be like, hey, guys, we need some resources. We need some money. We need to X, Y, and Z for the programs. There's a lot of nuance that goes into mm -hmm. it that I didn't realize before. And I had the, I would say the privilege, honestly, of I lived in Atlanta for a number of years when I was in college. Um, and so when my school was actually like in downtown Atlanta, so we would have to walk from one campus, you know, building to another one. We're walking through downtown Atlanta to get between our classes. And so we had a really unique opportunity to engage with people experiencing homelessness in Atlanta. Um, and actually, you know, you see the same people over and over and over again you start to form a relationship with those people. Um, if you're paying attention, if you're not just, you know, turning a blind eye and walking away. And there were people in the park that um, I would bring food to every day, or I'd have conversations with them, or I'd get to know them. And you do start to see that it's not, of course, there are people who have mental health issues. And there were some people that I felt like really needed more support and weren't getting that support that they needed. But there were a lot of people there who, like you said, they just had a bad turn. Mm -hmm. They just had something bad happen to them and they didn't have family or a support net that they could rely on um, to help them out of that. And they got stuck in a cycle of poverty that they couldn't break. Right. So it, it does. It really kind of opened your eyes to seeing like if I wasn't if I didn't have my family, like it could easily become me being homeless. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I think, and another thing that we have, or at least um, conversations, like not in my backyard is a huge thing. Like people have this mentality that homeless people just, you know, at least in Los Angeles, they're like, they're flocking everywhere. I'm like, okay, guys, let's be honest. If they can't afford their food, what makes you think they're going to be able to afford a plane ticket here? Like, you know, it's our own community members. Like, and it's something that I've had to have kind of have those discussions. I'm like, when you become homeless, you usually are going to try to be safe. You know, mm -hmm. put yourself in that position. You're right. going to go where you already know. You're going to go to the parts that you already knew that you're comfortable in. You you know, so most of the people that you see homeless are usually the community members that were community members before they were homeless. You know, the reality is they're not flocking, you know, like from all these directions. Yeah, you might have a couple that came here and didn't work out and that's why they're homeless. But the mentality that these are not my neighbors is ridiculous. Like, these are your neighbors. These are children that went to high school and cl 
something happened and now they're on the street. So that's another thing that challenging these stereotypes is what helps me. I, I always tell people, that's someone's son. That's someone's daughter. At the end of the day, that's someone's kid. And I've always, uh, um, I have a little brother that I consider like my, my child, uh, Gordo. And so I always tell people, I might not be always here. May I hope that whatever I do good, may that if my brother ends up in a bad situation, let someone have the same heart to help him. Yeah. And I think that just helps people humanize them. Also with drug addiction, I always tell people, you know, they're drug addicts. I'm like, let's be quite honest. Did you ever have a bad breakup? Mm-hmm. Did you tell me you never suck your sorrows on alcohol? Yeah. And the reason I'm also very passionate is my aunt um, experienced homelessness for many years because she, again, she came from a country, you know, she was... She was sexually abused by the soldiers. She had a whole bunch of package. And unfortunately, she had to work through it and had to experience some things. But at the end of the day, that's my aunt. You know what I mean? Like I tell them, now she's fine. She has a home. She's stable and so forth. But it took us years, even as a family. When I, you know, I remember my grandma going to her, trying to get her back home. But she still has some issues. And so I think that remembering that we're all human. None of us go to kindergarten and go, I would be homeless. That's exactly. No one has those dreams. No one has a child says, I don't want to have a home. No one has a child says, I'm going to be a drug addict and, you know, X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. It is those life situations that, or the cards that we are dealt with that sometimes leads us to that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think addiction is, is a whole, we could have a whole podcast around addiction, um, sort of what happens there and how people become addicted to drugs and alcohol. And really for some people, how easy and almost unavoidable it can be, um, especially with alcohol. You know, if you don't know that you have a genetic disposition to, to being addicted to something mm-hmm. and you're partying in college, you know, with your friends and everybody else is doing it. And next thing you know, you just can't put it down, right. you know, and it, and it, it builds on your self-worth and how you see yourself and it really can spiral you into something that's, that's out of your control. And that's where we have to remember that it's not it's we all have made mistakes and we all need just sometimes the helping hand yeah yeah i think that with people like how they view homelessness like yeah you're you're like some people are one paycheck away from experiencing homeless themselves homelessness themselves or a lot of people and um I feel like a lot of people look down on those people experiencing homelessness and they want their rights taken away in a way or they don't see them as equal citizens, even though like many of these people have been born here. Many of these people went through the school system as you did. They just had, you know, a bad luck of the draw. And so it makes me curious in the terms of voting, what does that look like for homeless people? Because I'm sure you have advocated for them to you know have full rights and all privileges as it is to be in this country um but what does that look for like for them since they don't may not have an address that they can put down for them to be able to vote in my other job i was a community engaged specialist which means that i would go into communities and try to educate them into homelessness outside of that and i've always that question of all the questions kind of interested me because one of the reasons that homeless people that are homeless don't have a lot of um, advocates is because unfortunately can't vote <laughs> or it's difficult for them to vote mm-hmm. um, or it's not their priorities. You know, again, like 
it's really hard to say you're going to go vote when you're really questioning where you're going to get your next meal, if you're taking showers or so forth. And so that's something that I wish a lot of individuals are facing homelessness or experience understands that they still have a right to vote. You still have a right to vote. And unfortunately, the mentality, like you were saying, how many people want their rights to serve enough, you know, I've, I've been able to, I'm not, I mean, been able to go to meetings where they didn't know I was an elected official. And they were saying things that once they found out I was an elected official, they really changed their tunes. I don't want to put, throw out any departments out there, but I was having a conversation there and one of an officer, very high ranking officer at that department was like, let's just grab them, put them in the bus and ship them to San Bernardino. I'm like, oh, you mean like the Japanese encampments? Oh, like the, that's First Amendment, right? And, and so I think people forget just because you're homeless does not make you less of a person or take those rights away from you. And I think that's why you're such a great politician too. I mean, yes. you're not, you, you know, know. I actually, <laughs> I always tell people I'm a horrible politician because I tell them the truth. <laughs> but that's know, what like, we need. Like that's what the state no, is for every, all the politicians want. <laughs> But here's the thing. You say this until we give you, I give you an answer you don't like. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was doing the presentations on homelessness, and so at the time I was doing a presentation at a local school where they knew I was an elected official, but I was wearing my other hat as an employee. And one of the individuals, clearly she had, you know, was one of my fans. She literally raised her. She's like, we should have the city built a shelter. I was like, oh, oh okay. And I, I was, at that point, I took off my hat. I'm like, okay. Let's have this discussion. I'm like, we can move it. I could go ahead and put it in the agenda, but let's be honest. How many of you are going to be the first ones going to protest me? I think a shelter would be necessary. You can make a shelter. Like, there's a lot of discussions. Like, you know, if God willing, I'd be able to make a shelter where it's only, for, like, right now, it'd be, like, for the residents of the Huntington Park. Like, if you need help and you are a resident of Huntington Park and you ended up a street, there's a place. There's literally a bed. How would that impact not only the quality of life for the individual that's facing homelessness, but the individuals that have homes? Yeah. We are home. We have a huge homeless population because we didn't build enough shelters or affordable houses. Mm-hmm. Point blank. I mean, it is within our own powers to do so. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we ourselves have this mentality of stupidity, not them, us kind of thing. And that's viewing us as a whole. Yeah. So that's why I tell people I'm a horrible politician because sometimes I will have to reflect on your own, you know, bias and be like. So that's why we love you because that's, I mean, that's the work that that Kendra and I do with the Conscious Leadership Academy is, you know, reflecting on your bias and reflecting on why are you making the decisions that you're making and why aren't you making the decisions that you're not making um, and really thinking about where does that, what's that real conversation look like? Mm-hmm. And so for you to be willing to put yourself out there and call people out and say, hey, I would love to push that forward, but where's your part in it? Where are you going to show up for me? Or where are you going to really show up against me? And how do we have that real conversation? And I mean, if I could clone you, I would, because I think we need a million more of you. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. That's what I tell people. At the end of the day, I'm not a politician. I'm a community leader trying to help build something. Or at least that's what I tell myself. (laughs) At least that's what I tell myself to make me feel better. Because, you know, the stigma of being a politician. But I tell them, at the end of the day, I'm here to do your building. Like, if you guys want this, then I will build it. But if you don't, then don't kind of hold me saying, it's you. I'm like, it's not really me. It's you that don't want it. And then... You're just reflecting on me, your decisions. 
Yeah. But being able to see that and to say, I can recognize that you're projecting your own thing onto me um, and then trying to use me as a scapegoat so that these things don't get done. Um, being able to not only just recognize that in the first place is huge. Mm -hmm. And then to turn around and say that back to people is even bigger. So mm -hmm. I know you say you're a horrible politician, but you're probably the politician that we all need. And that's probably why you're getting reelected <laughs> because people see that. So. I mean, yeah, if you think about like the bosses that you respect the most, mm -hmm. it's the ones that tell you no. Yeah. Or have those real conversations and let you know, like, hey, this can't be done or this can only be done this certain way. Um, and, and are real and transparent with you. And so when you're being real and transparent with other people, it actually helps to move the line and get things done. Yeah. yeah. And even those people in power, unfortunately, have those some stereotypes. And so they believe the easiest route is just like out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. just ship them and we're good. And so I think that a lot of individuals are homeless. I understand why they, their priority is in those. I really do. But that's when people like us, we need to make sure that individuals that are placed in those elected positions know how important advocating for homelessness is. I've done some programs here and there, but unless a state or federal gets involved, I I can only do so much. Um, one of the programs that we did during this COVID-19 was to do a renter's program where we helped individuals get one or two months of rent. But that's just a band-aid. That's really a band-aid. I was able to help some individuals, but that's truly a band-aid. And that was federal money, which means that they had to have documentations and so forth. We were able to partner with someone else to be bringing in those things. But I think that COVID-19, at least hopefully, has shown how individuals that believe they're stable are not that stable. And that's why we need to kind of advocate for programs in case something happens. We have a safety net. The one way I always tell people, it's easier it's much easier to keep someone housed than when they're homeless. Why? Because I could work with that landlord. I could go, okay, we're going to make payment plans and so forth. But once you're homeless, you're now seeing a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, I could see that. You know, I, I probably wouldn't have really thought about that before. But once you once you lose your home, how much harder is it to get set back up again? Mm -hmm. You know, not only you have to pay deposits, like you mentioned, furniture, you maybe you have an eviction now on your record that you've got to overcome. Like yeah. there's so much that happens once you kind of pass that threshold of losing your house that you have to now overcome to get back into mm -hmm. a home again that I don't think I ever really yeah. had thought through before. Yeah. I mean, I've been looking at apartments and just like the startup alone is going to cost me like at least five grand. I, wow. I feel like with a deposit, moving to San Diego, paying first month, like setting up utilities and all those different things like and buying furniture. I get that. It would definitely be harder to keep somebody um, or to get someone into a home than to keep them housed for sure. So Marilyn, I know after knowing you for many, many years that you are a, a workaholic and I think definitely the work that you're doing is such great work. Um, but how do you balance, you know, work-life balance? How do you balance self-care? Um, what do you do to kind of take time out for yourself? You know, self-care has been, a, I, I'm very appreciative of being an elected official because I think that you're right. I've always been a workaholic. I think Liz could uh, tell you how much I, I really am truly sometimes addicted to my work, but 
I never actually understood the importance of self-care until I got a position of elective power. And now with all the extras on top of regular lives and how important self-care is. My mom used to tell me, you cannot pour from an empty glass. And so one thing like, so I've struggled, honestly have struggled. One thing is I made my home my second choice. You know what I mean? Like when I came home, I don't work. I mean, and that's something very important because I had to put those boundaries even for myself because it's easy to answer another email. It's easy for me to reach for another phone call. But again, when do I stop? So I think that for me, I have a stop time. Like, I mean, like I have seven or eight, work is done unless it's an emergency and I start taking care of myself. I do baths, you know, watch movies. I spend time with my family, which keeps me grounded. You know, spend time with my child that he's now a teenager, you know. And all those fun stuff. But if there's anything, you know, I always tell people, you can't pour from an empty glass. And it's so easy to become overworked. And you sometimes don't realize how much in need you are because you just are working, working, working. And you don't, you lose touch for your own body and your mind. Yeah, I agree with that so much. And like setting a boundary, especially in the, like the parameters of your working hours. Um, I relate to you a lot because I did social services for eight years for a nonprofit. And there would be days I would be working to like eight, nine at night, trying to get cases logged, trying to look up resources to help because I worked with low income housing. So very like close to where you work, you know, where you're working. Um, but like you take that stuff home with you from the clients you see and then you're trying to complete the work. And I was burning out. And I'm sure you've also experienced like oh, yeah. that kind of work. You will burn out so quick because it's so mental. Um and there's so much empathy that you have to exude in that kind of a role too. So like, I completely relate to like setting a boundary on your times. And I have to be like five o'clock phones are off. We're done. Wait till tomorrow. And you, I have to train my mind that it's not an emergency if this isn't done today. Rarely is it like, at least in my work, rarely was it like something I couldn't have completed by the next morning when I clocked back in or came into the office. But I think that as social workers and people in human services, we're like, it has to be done now. I have to make sure this person's okay. Um, and then we forget to make sure that we ourselves are okay in the process. Yeah. Yeah. That one is something like, I mean, we like when I was working with individuals as their case managers, homeless, I get holidays extremely difficult because them themselves were going through it, you know, being home alone in an apartment and so forth. So, you know, I've always had to, I had to have those conversations even with my clients, like everything's going to be okay. We could have it tomorrow, but yeah, that's something, boundaries are something that I learned very quickly to um, help me be able to serve. It's like I tell people, it's not because I'm being mean to telling you this, it's because I cannot help you if, you know, I'm burned out. Along those same lines, I think, you know, when you're, when you feel like you're often probably putting out fires left and right, um, emergencies that are coming up. You know, what are some ways that you remind yourself or practice consciousness, conscious living in your life to kind of keep yourself aware of what your choices are, your actions are, um, and kind of what you're doing? You know, I'm very, and when you asked me that question, I was like, what is, what in myself? Like, I actually had to think about it, but what I actually do is for me, I actually journal or at least try to think of what my goals is. Um, it's easy to lose sight out of things. So I talk to, you know, like I usually talk, my grandma passed away, but I still talk to her. So like, she's like the person that helps me. But I think that what helps me is just saying it loud or having someone to talk to and just thinking, writing it down and reflect. 
I mean, that will help you realize what you're feeling and so forth and understanding, like, where am I going? Yeah, I do too. So one of our final questions, well, our final question for each week <laughs> is that we love to know what you're reading. So what are you currently reading right now? So right now I'm re actually rereading um, The Alchemist. It's one of my favorite books. Um, I actually, when I get stressed and so forth, I like to reread, uh, you know, just books I love. Alchemist is one of the easiest books, and I think it is a wonderful message at the end. I love so. that. I actually really love that you're reading that because that is something that uh, one of our mutual friends, Anastasia, made me read years ago. Um, right after we got out of school, actually, she made me read it. And it changed my life. <laughs> so hearing that you're reading it, it, it makes me very excited. Well, thank you again so much for yeah. being here with us. Thanks. Oh, thank you guys. Thanks for joining us. New episodes drop every Thursday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To join the conversation and be part of the community, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at USDCLA or email us at theadjacentself at sandiego.edu. We can't wait to hear from you.